For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Your new or existing home is one of your most important assets, yet too many people rely on sites, shows, and tips from people who are not in the real estate business when making important decisions. It's time to get real and trust a professional. This is Real Real Estate Today with host Deb Tomorrow. In this series, you'll learn about making smart decisions when it comes to buying a home, selling a home, or even staying in the home you're in. Now, here is your host, Realtor Deb Tomorrow. Hello, thank you for tuning in to Real Real Estate Today. I am your host, Deb Tomorrow. Kind of in the mood to do an NPR sort of, you know that um, Saturday Night Live skit where they yes. always do that, and they're very monotone, and yeah. they're talking, mm, that's really tasty, yes, that's really good. I think we may do that kind of tone today. What do you think? Uh, no. Okay. I'm probably not possible. <laughs> I don't know that I can. So on the other end, I am Deb. I think I already said that. My last name is T-O-M-A-R-O. My mother tells me to always spell it so people don't get confused and so that they can find me on the interwebs. Uh, you can look for me on Facebook. I highly recommend listening to this show and uh, having Facebook open on your phone at the same time, multitask, open to my page, Deb Tomorrow Realtor, because there's going to be all kinds of great links um, and uh, funny pictures and things like that that pop up during the show. So it makes it completely, totally interactive, which is way cool. On the other side of the mic is the best damn lender in the state of Indiana, Ms. Karen Rastel. Hello. And you are with Hallmark Home Mortgage, and I'm going to give a shout out to your boss, Kay, who may be listening, but may not be. So Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping she joins in. So, Kay, if you're listening, I'm glad that you're in town today. Okay, and we'll have to do that at the beginning of each segment so that we catch you in one of the segments, right? Awesome. Okay, well, today we're going to talk about a deal or disaster part de. Um, I had to do that because I like alliteration. But part two, last week we talked about short sales, and today we're going to talk about foreclosures a little bit more. But before we get into that, uh, I had a couple of other things we wanted to talk about. Go to my Facebook page, again, Deb Tomorrow Realtor. Uh, we have posted a, f- a picture of a house with a cat and we're asking people to caption the picture we thought this might be a little fun thing to do so we're gonna uh, post that I don't know if you can pop that back up to the top or not you may have to scroll down a little bit we're pretty prolific here on Facebook yes, uh, so oh I boosted it didn't I yeah okay sorry I'm, I'm distracted here as I'm talking with uh, Rachel who's my associate producer and has the face of an angel but the mouth of a sailor so we can't let her on the microphone uh, but she's manning the Facebook uh, pages for me so anyways take a look at that I think we got a couple of posts from uh, Stavy with an excellent use of emoticons uh, or whatever we call those emojis Mm-hmm. What's the difference between emoticon and emoji? I don't know. I don't use them. Okay, there we go. I use the little <laughs> semicolon parentheses smiley face. That's about what I do. So, but she she did a very good job of matching them to her sentiments. So, uh, so take a look at that. Uh, and then I think did I post uh, Chuck Norris jokes? On the, I may start doing that. So 
for those of you who don't haven't known me for a long time, I'm a big fan of the famous Chuck Norris jokes. Do you know what those are, Karen? I sure do. Thanks to, to thanks to your post. Thanks to my post. Do you have a favorite? Uh, the one I just sent you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it sort of resurrected something. Karen sent me one. So if you don't know, Chuck Norris is kind of a badass. And so there are these jokes about all these amazing things that he can do because he's sort of badder than any ass in the country or in the world. Uh, so Karen had sent me one that said Chuck Norris. What was it? Do you remember? Um, he caught all the Pokemon on a landline. On a landline. He catches all the Pokemon on a landline. <laughs> Pretty funny. My favorite one is that uh, uh, Chuck Norris doesn't believe in the periodic table of elements because there is only one element, the element of fear. <laughs> and then the other one I like, which I always wanted to make into a T-shirt, was that when Chuck Norris does push-ups, he's not pushing himself up. He's pushing the entire world down. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, I really, I wanted to like get that one and go to on a t-shirt and then wear it at the gym if I actually went to the gym but so anyways so we're gonna be posting more Chuck Norris jokes so if you have any good ones um, share those as well I'm gonna be collecting them a few years ago I did 30 days of Chuck Norris in December I posted a Chuck Norris joke every day uh, so I think we may do that in um, October and a lead up to that thing that's going to happen in November that nobody really wants to talk idea. about is a little bit of a distraction but since we are in the middle of politics right now uh, the conventions, which I'm not going to talk about last week or this week, uh, but I'm going to talk uh, politics. No, not really. Are you afraid? Karen's got. Yeah, this it's on. Me. It's on your uh, show politics. List. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. So in the past, we've talked about what it means to be a realtor. I think that was show probably two or three, uh, and we talked about that it's not just a real estate agent that a realtor is something different. We're a member of the National Association of Realtors. Uh, we talked about the ethics. Um, and that realtors take an oath to uphold and to hold each other accountable to. But one of the things that I realized that we haven't talked about, and I wanted to just touch on this briefly in our first segment before we get on to our main topic, is uh, sort of the legislative arm of the group. And I think a lot of people think that these big organizations go in, um, you know, lobbyists and uh, PACs, you know, those, those are all kind of dirty words, I think, to us normal folk. Mm-hmm. Um because we're not in there in Washington, you know, we see in movies how that happens and bad things happen with the lobbies and all that stuff. But there's good stuff going on, too. And the National Association of Realtors is a great resource um, at the Washington level and also at the very, very local level. They provide resources that can help citizens protect their rights and their land use and their financial stability. Um, there was an article that just came out, and I meant to talk about it last week. And, uh, and then I forgot. <laughs> so I wanted to touch on it this week. And Karen, you might find this interesting. You probably already know this, um, but this has to do with condos. Um, and we did a show on condos a few weeks ago. I should have a show list in front of me so I can be like, show number 10 was about condos right. <laughs> or whatever. Um, but there, as you know, maybe you can tell me a little bit about how complicated it is to finance condos. I wouldn't say it's complicated, however... Well, I guess I'm trying to make this light. Okay. Um, it's not it's not as complicated as one would think. However, there are a lot more that uh, documentation that goes involved. The investors that purchase the loans in the secondary market are looking at the budgets. Uh, there's a condo questionnaire. There could be a limited review or a full condo review. So there's a lot more, and not a whole lot of true condominiums actually become saleable. Uh, so mo- most lenders can't do certain condos mm-hmm. because we can't sell them on the secondary market. Right. And condos 
oftentimes in a lot of markets represent a really affordable option for people. Um, And I think it's also popular, it's popular with low to moderate income and it's also popular with older people who don't want to have as much maintenance. But these burdensome uh, restrictions just make condos sometimes out of reach. So one of the things that the National Association of Realtors has been working on on a national level with uh, U.S. senators is making some changes to um, the FHA program and how they certify condos. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the things they've done is lowered the owner-occupancy requirement from 50% to 35%. So those are just sort of the kind of rules and laws that we're trying to, that the National Association of Realtors is working to help either uh, make it easier for people to get financing on certain properties or um to just at least make sure that things don't get more difficult for financing. And I know different kinds of loans and different markets have different rules. So this was just kind of one example of that. But, um, you know, at a national level, we're trying to pass some of these rules and some of the, like FHA is a, a, a mortgage that's underwritten by the federal government. So that's why the U.S. senators get And involved. a lot of first-time buyers tend to use that program because of this, uh, the lower down payment. I read a similar similar article to what you're referencing, mm-hmm. and um, it'll be nice to see if they can definitely make some changes in there and make it easier. Because yeah. I always have to refer to my condo pud list right. for our county just to right. make sure before I start looking at right. at a pre-approval for someone. Right. But my, my point is that, you know, that we're, the National Association of Realtors does more than just, you know, help people buy and sell houses. They're looking to help protect property rights and values um, and help people get finance and that kind of thing. And that's one of the ways they did it. I was doing a little bit of research and I found some other kind of interesting articles on things that were done at a much more local level. One example was that that, uh, and if you can imagine in Hawaii, they have very limited land and they also have very precious resources. Um, and it's such beautiful land as well that they really want to protect those. Um, and, but there are so many layers and rules if you try to do any development. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think we have to face the fact that population is growing. And so you have to develop something somewhere we can't just stay where we are as much as we want to I know we have that as a big issue in our county that our county's population is constantly growing and we're trying to figure out where to put people and what makes sense Um, and so one of the things that the National Association of Realtors does is they provide resources to then local association of realtors so this is the HAR which is the Hawaii Association of Realtors who is trying to do work on a local legislative level to help remove all of these layers of um, restrictions you know it was interesting to me a couple of the statements in this article I was reading the land use in Hawaii is governed by regulations that have been in place since the 60s and the 70s oh my gosh yeah so they're certainly you know they're outdated they're redundant they add costs and there's unnecessary efficiencies inefficiencies there are seven different layers of land use control So if you're trying to figure out what you can do with land, there's like seven different entities that you have to go through to figure out what you can do, what you're allowed to do with this land. Um, So the Hawaii Association of Realtors is able to uh, work with the National Association of Realtors to provide expertise and advice and national resources to kind of help define what policies are going to be and what's worked in some areas and what hasn't worked. So again, it's a great resource um, that realtors are able to provide. 
There's another one. This is from a few years ago, but it was a, um, a county called uh, Amador County uh, in California at the foothills of the Sierra Nevada. It's kind of south of uh, Sacramento. And they have serious water issues like most of California. And there was a small but very vocal group of sort of anti-growth people who didn't want to put in some water systems that really needed to be put in um, for health. Uh, and also for property values, because if the water systems were failing, then, you know, no one's going to be able to, to sell their property if they needed to sell their property. It would have a really negative effect. And uh, the realtor, the local association of realtors used some national association resources to help um, establish um, uh, kind of get groups moving forward, understanding why they needed to make some changes, why they need to improve the water system, how they should be billing. They restructure, help restructure billing. And so they're just providing advice and resources and energy behind these movements. I mean, just, you know, personal energy to, to move these things forward. So I thought that was really cool too. And then there was one more, uh, and this was another national bill. Um, and this has to do with foreclosure. So this is going to kind of segue into our next segment. Um, but several years ago, uh, there was a national bill that protected military people who were transitioning out of the military and it protected them from foreclosure for a year. Um, I know a lot of people who are transitioning out of military. I know you've talked to some as well that mm-hmm. it's difficult. It's very difficult to transition out of the military um, because a lot of times you don't have a job in place or you're trying to go to school and it's very difficult to get financing or you may, you know, you, you lose some pay and you have some benefits and it just is, it's tricky. Um, and this bill, it protects, it says, basically that you can't foreclose on them for a year you have to kind of give them a chance to get back on their feet um doesn't mean they don't have to pay but it just means that you can't you know shut the door on them right away but this uh the original bill came out i think in 2012 and it was only good for a couple of years and so the national association of realtors is one resource that goes out there to washington and says this is an important bill uh, and we think the climate is such that we need to continue that um, and then uh, the legislation is passed again or it's extended and there's several acts like that, some other mortgage debt relief acts and things like that. So I just wanted to share that that's a little bit more, you know, we're not just out there buying and selling houses and showing people houses and being all chipped gains and Joanna gains all the time that we're also doing some important things. We have our eyes on the bigger picture for the country. So that's my political statement, if you will. For the first segment, we're going to go to break and then we're going to come back and start talking about foreclosures. I know everybody's wanting, there's always so many questions about that. So stay tuned. You're listening to Real Real Estate Today, your home for smart real estate. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Are you interested in buying or selling a home? Not sure what the next step is? Deb can help. Go to realrealestatetoday.com and click on Start Here. You'll be asked a few simple questions and Deb will personally contact you to help answer your real estate questions and connect you with a realtor in her personal nationwide network of realtors. So even if you aren't in Deb's service area, you're guaranteed to find a good match wherever you are. Visit realrealestatetoday.com. You count. Tune into Interrevolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. 
follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Inner Revolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Real Real Estate Today. To reach Deb tomorrow or with questions and comments about the show, please send an email to Deb at realrealestatetoday.com. That's Deb at realrealestatetoday.com. Now, back to this week's program. All right. Thanks for sticking around. Kay, are you listening to this segment? I hope so. If your name's Kay. We're, we're hoping you're listening. Okay. We are talking today about uh, distress, deal or disaster, distressed properties, part de. Do you like that? I do. Okay. I, I work really it. hard at coming up with these titles. Not I like really. the title. I do. Yeah, I know. I feel like we just need to do deal or disaster like every week. Let's sort of flip or flop. We're deal or disaster. Ooh, there's an HGTV show there. Let me think about that for a second. Deal or disaster. Okay. We're going to put one together. Producers. Anyone out there? So last week we talked about short sales. And basically, I think we learned that there was nothing short about short sales, that they really should be called long sales, um, that really, really long sales. Uh, So today we're going to talk about another type of distressed property foreclosures. I get a lot of people that come to me and say, I want to buy a foreclosure. And we laugh and laugh and laugh. And then we tell them the reality of it. Do you have people come into your office, Karen, and... All the time, but they don't say it's a foreclosure. They say, we found this great property at a fabulous price. It needs some work. <laughs> and I say, okay, what's the address? Yeah. And there's either one picture, and it's always the outside, or there's no pictures available. Right. And then when I go and check the records, and I can tell it's bank owned, and then I say, okay. That kind of switches gears on our conversation. Right. But they never say it's a foreclosure. Right. Well, and most people, you know, don't know if it's listed with a realtor. It takes them a while to kind of figure out um, that it's a foreclosure because they don't say, hey, this house is a foreclosure. Come by me. It's in our market. We're usually listed by a couple of realtors that have contracts with the bank. So let's review some numbers. I'd like to start with some numbers um, that we talked about last week. And this is just going back to the number of foreclosures and short sales and distress sales. So if you remember, we talked about the peak of short sales looks like it was in about 2010. So it's been about six years. Um, 785,000 foreclosed property foreclosure sales in 2010. Uh, and then up through 2014, we went down to 250,000. So 785 to 250 is a pretty big drop. So when someone walks in and they want to buy a foreclosure, the first thing to understand is that they are not as readily available as they were many years ago. And uh, those shows on HGTV, the flipping flippy floppy, right? That's one. They buy a lot of foreclosures, I think. I think they do buy a lot. And again, different market too. So you need to understand like our market's been pretty steady and pretty strong. We didn't have a ton of foreclosures. There are certainly, you know, I read stories of people in some uh, areas, especially in California and Las Vegas. If you wanted to get into a certain neighborhood, you had to buy a foreclosure because pretty much everything was foreclosures um, or short sales. So you had to be kind of mentally prepared to do that. I don't know that that's so much the case anymore. But let's talk a little vocabulary now. 
because you hear people refer to them in different ways. I tend to just call them all foreclosures. I'm not sure why. That's just where it came from. But foreclosures, really, I should correct myself because foreclosure is really the process. It's not the end product. The end product is either a bank-owned home or what's called an REO, which is a bank-owned. It stands for real estate-owned, which has never made sense to me. Do you know, understand where REO comes from or what? I mean, it was a term I learned when I was in the banking realm, you know, 20-some years ago. Ours was called, like, it was called REO. Yeah. But it was just, but we had an extra O in the front. So it said REO? Yeah, like other real estate-owned. REO. But yeah, we didn't call it Oreo, but on the bank's books, we would say that that section of properties is what the other mm-hmm. real estate owned that that bank held. Yeah. Not just our, our, our assets where right. our branches were, but all of the foreclosed properties. Right. right. Um, a HUD home is something very similar to a bank owned, but it's a home that had an FHA loan on it and, and then it got foreclosed on. And so it's owned by HUD. So it's actually owned by the national government. There could also be a VA owned uh, home that was foreclosed on by the Veterans Administration if it originally had a VA loan on it. So in general, bank-owned foreclosure is kind of all the same. Um, Just understand that the foreclosure is the process. The end result is that a home may become an REO, real estate owned by the bank. Um, These are all homes that the owners got behind on their payments and the lender basically took the house back. Okay, show over. That's really all you need to know, right? (laughs) Okay, I've explained it. Do, do you want to talk about the process more in depth? Of financing? No, no or, foreclosure. Of how the foreclosure works. I'm not even for certain how exactly yeah. okay, it works. Yeah, okay, so let's try and talk about it because it is very, very confusing. And the reason it's very confusing is that it's different in every state. So I'm going to talk about it at a very high level. I always I have this song that plays in my head when I start to think about this because I'm always explaining this. Okay, let's talk about how a house becomes a foreclosure. I always think about how a bill becomes That's a law. law. Yeah. I know. Is that what comes in <laughs> your Schoolhouse rock. Yeah. Yes. And I, so I was trying I to do an analogy, um, but because uh, I love that. I'm just a bill. I'm just a lonely. <laughs> okay. Put that on Facebook. Um Okay, so how does a house become a foreclosure? The most common process is called, and this is going to be fun to say because it involves the word judicial, a judicial foreclosure. See, I'm just not going to say it. You cannot say the word judicial without sounding drunk. That's all I'm going to say. So I'm not drunk. Somebody in this room might be drunk, but it's not me. So the most common process for foreclosure is a judicial. There is a non-judicial foreclosure process that some states allow that's becoming increasingly less popular um, because it's becoming increasingly more complicated. Uh, But uh, that's where the judge isn't involved, that the bank can just take the house back, basically. So a judicial foreclosure, laws and processes vary by state. So here's just kind of the overview of it. First step, the owner gets behind on their payments. The first month that a payment is missed, your lender will typically contact you by letter or phone. Say, hey, you missed your payment. Or both. Yeah. Let's talk. This is a great time for a housing counselor to step in and help. There are tons of resources out there. I've seen billboards. I don't know if I've seen them lately. But five years ago, there used to be billboards all over the place, right, of who you could call to get help if you were behind on your payment. Well, and now, one of the new laws that went into place after 2008, um, at the time of a loan disclosure, you have to provide that borrower 
a list of 10 agencies that will help in this situation. Like Wow, that, interesting. Right. So, they so it's to, in your loan package somewhere. It is. And they sign an acknowledgement that says, yes, I have received the home ownership counseling list. But it's, it's 10 within like, I think it's like a 50-mile radius. So there's plenty of resources out there. And that's really good information. You've, you've earned your keep today, Karen. Good job. All right. So go find that loan package where you have your big stack of documents that you've never, ever read through. And somewhere in there is a list of places you can help. Do not call. When I say billboard, I mean giant billboard. Don't call the houses, the signs that are stuck in the grass on the highway corner that says we buy ugly houses or we. Yeah, that um, makes me nervous. I see Yeah, those. that are handwritten. and mm-hmm. what, Yeah, don't call those, please. Okay. So first month you've missed a payment, your lender's going to start to nag you a little bit. The second month you've missed a payment, your lender's going to likely start calling to discuss with you why you have not made your payments. Um, now, some of this information, there's, uh, and I think uh, Rachel's going to put a link up to it for the HUD um, website, and they're giving some advice on what to do. And they said, at this point, it is important that you take your lender's phone calls. Um, and this is a running theme throughout this process. If you are in this foreclosure process, talk to your lender, talk to them, explain to them your situation. They really don't want your house back. They really want to kind of figure out a solution. I'm the same way with my tenants. Just talk to me. Tell me what's going on. Let's figure it out. So talk to your lender. Explain your situation, what you're trying to do to resolve it. Um, at this time, you still might be able to make a payment to prevent yourself from falling You know, three months behind. Again, housing counselor is certainly a good resource as well. The third month you've missed a payment, you're going to receive a letter from your lender stating the amount that you're delinquent that you have 30 days to bring your mortgage current, and this is called a demand letter or a notice to accelerate. You want to talk about the acceleration clause that's in a mortgage? Go right ahead. Okay, well, plain and simple. In your mortgage, there is an acceleration clause that says if you miss a payment, they have the right to demand that the entire balance is due at that point. Boom. Done. Scary. So talk to them when they call you. Um, because you don't want the entire balance to become due. Um, If you do not pay a specified amount or make some arrangements, and a lot of people are able to make payment arrangements, um, then the lender can start foreclosure proceedings. Um, They are unlikely to accept, the sellers or the lender is unlikely to accept less than the total due without arrangements made uh, if you receive the letter. So that's why HUD advises you to get talking to them the first or second phone call. I know it's very humbling when you have to have that conversation with your lender or yeah. loan servicer, and it may be embarrassing or, you know, it could be divorce, loss of job, someone's passed away. But usually by the time someone starts talking to their lender, it's already too late. Like if they would have just at the beginning, right. like you said, just reached out or when the lender reaches out to them to start those, the line of communication so that the lender, they're taking notes they're updating your file, you know. Right. But usually people are, like, too embarrassed. Yeah. They don't want to talk about it. And then by the time it's going to sheriff sale. It's too late. It's too late. Yeah. Um, by the time you've missed your fourth payment, then you're probably nearing the end of the time that's allowed for your demand notice. Uh, and you are going to start to see what you owe accelerate rapidly because now there's going to start to be attorney fees involved because the next step that's going to happen is that they're basically going to like sue you um, for the balance of 
the mortgage. They've asked nicely, said you've missed your payments. You now need to pay up the balance of the mortgage. If you ignore that, then their next step is to go to court. That's where it becomes a judicial foreclosure. So they will sue you um, and they will win because you signed all that documentation saying that they have the right to do that. This goes for co-signers too. I think we should point that out. Great point. Because some people say, I'm just co-signing and I'm not living there. So, you know, but... You're going to be named on it too. Exactly. And it's going to, and we can talk about what it'll do to your credit, but there's not a long discussion because it'll pretty much ruin it for a while. <laughs> for a while. Uh, okay. So the, the bank will then go to court or have their attorneys go to court and say, hey, judge, this person hasn't paid their mortgage. The judge will say, okay, judgment in the bank's favor for the balance of the mortgage plus the attorney fees plus the late fees plus anything else that they can tack on. Um, I saw one yesterday. I'm going to talk about this example a little bit more um, that I think the balance of the mortgage was $184,000. But the total amount that was due at the time of the foreclosure was 267000 Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It had been going on for 10 years. Wow. Yeah. Well, we'll talk a little bit about the reasons why. So then what happens is that there's a judgment against you in the amount of whatever the balance is, your attorney fees, yada, yada, yada. And they'll say, hey, you need to pay that judgment. Most people can't pay that judgment. If you cannot pay that judgment, then the sheriff basically says, well, we're going to sell the house in order to satisfy that judgment. So then that's when it goes to sheriff sale or auction. People call it different things, but sheriff sale, where they will uh, schedule the sale and uh, sell it. That's a cash sale, uh, and it truly is auctioned off. Have you ever been to the one here in Monroe County? No, I have not. It's fun. It's interesting. It's <laughs> I shouldn't say it's fun. but it's, it'd be sad. It's <laughs> interesting because it's just a room full of investors, basically. But if nobody wants the house, or like in this case, this house that the balance was 184000 uh, the bank needed to get 267 no investor is going to pay 267 The house isn't worth that. Right. So that's how then it goes back to the bank. So there's two options at sheriff's sale. It can sh- sell to uh, a, a third party, which could be an investor. It could be a homeowner, but you got to pay cash, so most people don't. Um, or if no one buys it, if no one bids on it, then it goes back to the uh, bank kind of in lieu of what you owed them. So that is how a house becomes a bank owned. We're going to talk in more detail after this next break. So hang in there. You're listening to Real Real Estate Today, your home for smart real estate. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Are you interested in buying or selling a home? Not sure what the next step is? Deb can help. Go to realrealestatetoday.com and click on Start Here. You'll be asked a few simple questions, and Deb will personally contact you to help answer your real estate questions and connect you with a realtor in her personal nationwide network of realtors. So even if you aren't in Deb's service area, you're guaranteed to find a good match wherever you are. Visit realrealestatetoday.com. 
What if there was a radio show that could demonstrate how we can cut your taxes in half without diminishing needed government services? One that could explain how to create tens of millions of jobs at no cost to taxpayers, as well as fantastic yet easily affordable health care. Side effects include cutting crime rates nationwide, providing better education for our children, international peace and harmony, and protecting your private personal data from government intrusion. Tune in to Libertarians Working for You with Arvind Vora, weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Real Real Estate Today. To reach Deb tomorrow or with questions and comments about the show, please send an email to Deb at RealRealEstateToday.com. That's Deb at RealRealEstateToday.com. Now, back to this week's program. All right, we are back. Kay, are you listening? Kay, Kay. I hope she's listening. So I'm get back to the office. I'm going to say we did a shout out at every segment. Every segment. Every segment. I expect Kay to post something on my Facebook page acknowledging, please. Okay. Uh, if you or your loved one would like a shout out on my show, just go to my Facebook page and request it. I would be more than happy to. I could do birthday wishes and anniversaries and all kinds of good stuff. So, okay. So we've been talking about uh, foreclosures. You wouldn't know it from that segment intro, but we have been talking about foreclosures. We just kind of went through the process of how a house becomes a bank owned, how a house becomes an REO. I'm not going to sing the song. Um, One of the things after that sheriff sale auction is that there in some states there is a redemption period. So that's a question you would want to ask as well, that even after the sale in some states, the Uh, previous owner has the right to pay up uh, within a certain number of days, and it might even be as long as one year. So um, be aware of that rule as well if you're buying something, especially if you're buying something to flip. You don't want to buy it and start doing a lot of work if it's possible that the previous owner is going to come back and pay up and redeem the house and get it back. So how do you buy at Sheriff Seal? We touched on this a little bit uh, because I get this question a lot. People will say, oh, I see this house is up for Sheriff Sale, and how do I go about buying it? Well, the first downfall is that it has to be cash. And not too many people are buying houses with cash anymore. So that is a challenge. You literally have to have cashier's checks with you. In Indiana, I think they give you like 20 minutes to run to the bank say, or something. It's like one hour. Yeah, it's one crazy hour. that you like run to the bank and get your cashier's check and uh, and bring it back. Uh, number two challenge is that, guess what? You don't get to go inside the house first. You are buying this house sight unseen. So first time home buyers, don't do this. Not a good idea. There are no inspections. There's no entry. There's no contingencies. You are buying it on the spot. So invest or whoever's buying it, we need to assume 
the worst case scenario, basically. Um, most people, from my experience um, of attending a few uh, sheriff sales around here, the people who are buying, the sheriffs know them by first name because <laughs> it's the same people over and over again because they know what they're doing. They're experienced investors who know the risks. They can look at a house from the outside and say, eh, you know, yeah, this is probably what it's going to take to get it. Here's probably what it'll be worth. If they're off on one, they can absorb the risk. And that's huge. I think that's really important to think. You know, that flip or flop show that drives me crazy. Sorry, Tarek and whatever, whatever her name, her name is. is. Yeah. Um, but the show drives me crazy. But anyways, I mean, they, you know, at the end, they always talk about, did they flip or did they flop? If you're an investor and you're flipping homes, occasionally you're going to flop. It's just going to happen. And you have to structure your business so that you can absorb that loss every once in a while. Um, but most average homeowners cannot absorb that kind of loss. Um, have I made that clear enough? Mm. Um, you know, one thing in our community, and, and again, we don't have as many foreclosures but when you're trying to, if you're an average homeowner and you're trying to go up against a, a flipper or an investor buying one of these foreclosure homes, you need to think about these investors, especially the ones around here, the ones on HGTV, um, they are flipping 10, 15, 20 houses a year. They don't need to make forty dollars or $50,000 per house to have a good living. They could make $10,000 a house profit. So their need, as opposed to the person who, you know, the first time flipper who thinks I need to make $40,000 on this flip because it's the only one I'm going to do this year, the very different business model. So that's one of the challenges that I'm always trying to explain to people is that you're up against people who don't need to make as much as money as you that have been doing it for a long time. Okay, so that is how you would buy at a sheriff sale if you wanted to. However, all of those houses that didn't get bought by the investors then go back to the bank, and now the bank owns them. So what does the bank do with them? So you saw this on the banking side. You guys, when you were on, before you were in mortgages and you were just working for the bank. Yeah, I mean, I would say that <clears throat> I wasn't directly involved with that department, but I don't think that they put a lot into it as far as getting, you know, fixing some things or getting it ready to like be put on the market, list it with a realtor. I think that they did as minimal. I mean, they're already out mm -hmm. a bunch of money. They're not going right. to put more money into it to get it into a financeable right. uh, you right. know, condition. Mm -hmm. I've seen a huge difference between who the bank is, smaller banks, local banks, and large banks. Um, I've had clients, and you were at Monroe Bank when mm -hmm. they were in existence or not existence anymore. We miss you, Monroe Bank. We loved you. Um, they actually, I worked on some transactions, had some clients buy some houses at Monroe Bank really fixed up, put new bathrooms in, put new kitchens in, did all kinds of stuff. That was very, very unusual. Um, but they, you know, listened to what the realtor had to say and said, if you want to sell this house, this is what you need to do. Um, I have personally listed some properties for um, Old National Bank, and they've been willing to do a few things as well. Um, but when you get to some of the larger uh, banks, a Chase or a Deutsche Bank or some of those Wells Fargo mm -hmm. that have hundreds of thousands of foreclosures, you know, they send an asset person out to make sure there's no dead bodies in the house pretty much, I think. And they usually pull out the carpet because it smells like cat pee. Um, and that's it. And they'll make sure it's winterized. 
although it's probably too late and the pipes have probably already busted. And they changed the locks on the doors and put some signs in the windows and that's it. But the point I want to make is that people feel like there are secret hiding places that no one else knows about where foreclosures are listed, that there's secret foreclosures. You know what I'm saying? Oh, like you have to be on some VIP list to get Something. to know to know right. where to look for these. Right. Like, where do I know? Where are the secret foreclosures? And what I always tell people is banks are not in the business to own property. That's not what they want to do. And they know how it works. And they know that if they want to get rid of a house, they need to market it. And it needs to be with a realtor and it needs to be everywhere on every website um, that there really aren't any secret places. Now, I have seen some crazy stuff. Um, I had a client buy a a duplex about a year ago and it was foreclosed on in 2012 and it sat for three years. Yeah, I can't figure out why. I asked the listing agent, she didn't know why, but it's literally sat for three years. Did it need improvements? I mean, did it? It's a hot there? mess. Okay, and it sat there for three years. Three years, it as just a hot sat there. Mess. Okay. Uh huh. Um, I don't even think they mowed the lawn, um, but then eventually it got listed, and then you know, it was listed with a realtor, and someone bought it. I can't explain that. That's a rarity as to why you know something like that, because typically you'll see the sheriff sales, and then within a couple of weeks you'll see those houses go on the market with a realtor um, who's working with whatever bank uh, owns it now. So there really aren't any secrets. Um, One of the things I get a lot of questions about are those, have you ever had anyone come in and say, well, I saw this foreclosure and you say, what's the address? They go, I don't know. They just gave me the street name. No, I haven't had. You haven't seen no. that. Mm-mm. So I get this a lot. There are some websites out there. Say, yeah, well, it's on um, you know Main Street. Okay, what's the street number? Well, they don't tell you that. Or they'll say, well, in order for me to tell you the street name, uh, it's a hundred bucks to join our website. <laughs> okay. Hey, um, another thing you see is the pre foreclosures that are listed, like on Zillow and Trulia. Um, they're listed as pre foreclosures. I'm not on those websites, so I thank I, you. I don't know. <laughs> thank you. For so I don't. I don't know. So what do they say a pre foreclosure is? I mean, I, I can so they lead you to believe that they're for sale because people don't know what pre foreclosure means. Mm-hmm. They are not for sale, but pre foreclosure means that it is. They are behind on their payment, and probably the lender has filed something in court. I was going to say, because otherwise they wouldn't know that. That's okay. What this pre-foreclosure is, is that they're calling public records for people who are behind on their payments because that gets recorded because you file and the lender files in court. Hey, I'm going to sue these people. I'm going to foreclose on them. Hmm. Pre-foreclosure. And so they're not foreclosed on yet. And there's still a lot that could happen in that time period. Um, so here's an example. I just discovered this yesterday and it's kind of way perplexing to me, but we're going to talk a little bit about why it takes so long for, for things to go through foreclosure. But I just followed a foreclosure case that had been ongoing for 10 years. So basically this house had been a pre-foreclosure for 10 years, 10 years. The, uh, they originally filed, uh, the lender filed in 2006. Um, and, I go to a sheriff's sale list regularly and just kind of keep an eye on it because it's a good way to either A, say, oh, this, these houses might be coming up on the market soon because it's, uh, you know, up for sheriff's sale the next month. 
Or I look to if there's like properties that are adjacent to something I own or something clients right. own or whatever. So I watched those lists and I started to see this address over and over and over again, like over the years. I'm like, what is going on here? And every time right before share sale, we get yanked off the list because that always happens. When you go to share sale, when you go to the physical auction, they hand you a packet with all the addresses, but it's all like highlighted. And they're only going to auction off the ones that are highlighted because at the last minute, for a variety of reasons, stuff gets pulled off the auction list. Whether people paid up, whether they worked out payment arrangements, um, what it looked like going through public record in this situation was that a lot of times right before the share sale, the owner would go and file for bankruptcy. And when you go into bankruptcy, everything kind of freezes. They can't take away your primary residence. Yeah, but every, how many times? Eight times in seven years. They filed for bankruptcy. And then a few months later, they would withdraw it. I wouldn't even think that that would be allowed. I don't know. You I would mean, think it wouldn't either, but according to the public records, that's what it looked like was happening to me. Um, so that seems to be one tactic. I'm not telling anybody they should do that tactic because I don't think it's going to work for everyone. Um, but that seemed to be what it was. And Uris and I, love of my life, Uris, we were discussing this situation last night Um and, you know, kind of perplexed about how it, you know, how that would be possible. And I said, but what about the stress? For 10 years, That's what I was you're on say. the verge of losing your home, losing the roof over your head. For 10 years. I wonder when, if the people still live there or if it's vacant. I don't know. I'm going to drive by after the show. But I'm just, <laughs> I'm, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like every time that you file for bankruptcy or attempt to file or whatever, I mean, at some point, if you can't make your payment then I guess let it go. This is Karen's favorite phrase. <laughs> if you can't afford it, then you probably shouldn't have it. No, but you know, at a certain point, yeah. you just have to let it go. And move on and move start on, over. Rebuild your life, rebuild your credit. Amen, but this is going on for 10 years. 10 years. I can't even imagine the stress. I mean, more than anything, the stress. Because what goes around comes around. They've lost the house. You know, it took them 10 years, but ay vey. So something to think about. We are going to go to our last break and then come back and talk a little bit more about why foreclosures can take a long time as well. So Kay, stick around. We've got one more segment. You're listening to Real Real Estate Today, your home for smart real estate. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Are you interested in buying or selling a home? Not sure what the next step is? Deb can help. Go to realrealestatetoday.com and click on Start Here. You'll be asked a few simple questions and Deb will personally contact you to help answer your real estate questions and connect you with a realtor in her personal nationwide network of realtors. So even if you aren't in Deb's service area, you're guaranteed to find a good match wherever you are. Visit realrealestatetoday.com. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Real Real Estate Today. To reach Deb tomorrow or with questions and comments about the show, please send an email to Deb at realrealestatetoday.com. That's Deb at realrealestatetoday.com. Now, back to this week's program. All right. Welcome back. We are going to do one final shout out to our number one friend, Kay of Hallmark Home Mortgage. (laughs) You can't even say it. Are you sure you haven't been drinking? Have not, but... I might, there might be fumes that I'm ingesting. Um, we are talking today about deal or disaster, everything you need to know about a foreclosed home and how to buy one and what to pay attention to. So our last segment, we are going to talk about some potential pitfalls of bank-owned homes. Um, I, I read this article, I pulled this article up, and it was funny because I read it, and I was like, oh, okay, it's not just like the bank-owned homes that I've been in. This is a blanket thing. Um, They're recommending that one of the things to be aware of when you go into a bank-owned home is the lack of cleanliness. (laughs) I thought that was pretty funny. But it's true, and I don't think people expect that. I'm going to preface this. I should say that I've probably helped people buy over 200 bank-owned homes in my career, so I'm pretty well-versed in the bank-owned. I had a client once buy a bank-owned home up in Indianapolis. Uh, He was kind of an investor in buying a lot of homes and he would sort of just do a drive-by and look in the windows and be like, oh, yeah, that's good. And he bought one, and then he called me the next day, and he goes, remind me to always walk all the way around the house because apparently there was no back to the house. And oh he didn't God. know that because <laughs> from the front of the line. So he's like, next time, come walk all the way around it. I was like, okay, great. It was like movie props. Like yeah, pretty set. much like the old Wild, wild West towns, right? But anyways, lack of cleanliness. Bank, and then the, this is what the article says. I thought it was kind of funny. Bank-owned homes are sometimes disgustingly dirty. Yeah, pretty much true. Because of time spent sitting empty, intentional neglect by the previous owners or occupancy by vagrants. Uh, and when the place is locked up with no air circulating for months, buildup dirt can cause the entire home to smell. Mm. So true. So you need to wear masks, like a hazmat Well, suit. you need a loose enough shirt that you can pull it up over your mouth. I would take a mask with me, a surgical mask. <sighs> I remember one, and it was uh, it was a short sale, but it was a similar thing. We walked in, and we were like, oh, you know, you kind of you have this like, visceral, like, oh, reaction. And then what's always disturbing to me is that within about two minutes, you kind of get used to the stink a little bit. And then you're like, that's disturbing to me that now, like, how bad it was. And I'm used to it because that was not a smell I ever want to get used to. Pets, I mean, you see all kinds of, you know, stink. Um Bad renovations. I always sort of say this jokingly to people, but I don't think it's a joke. I think it's serious. When you go into a foreclosure, nine times out of ten, you can spot one thing that's really spectacular, even if it's spectacularly bad. Like, it could be this, like, massive, like, six-by-six bathtub or something crazy like that that they put in a $100,000 house. And I'm like, and that's what put them over. Like that's, there's always something that they start some renovation project and they run out of money and they get upside down and they end up just sort of walking away. Um, So, but something to be aware of is that a lot of times these renovations were done without permits um, or without hiring good labor because they're trying to save money. So those are certainly some things you want to be aware of. Is there anything that you want to say about, I know we talk about condition of homes on pretty much every single show, 
that some of the things from a lender standpoint? I mean, it has to be stable. I mean, the home itself has to be habitable. There can't be any, you know, uh, hazard hand railings. I mean, I have someone who's interested in looking at a house that these doors open up to nothing, mm-hmm. like yeah. like off of a off of a living room or something. I'm not for sure, but. Um, there's no decking. Mm-hmm. I mean, those type of things. So lenders are looking for the safety and soundness of that structure. Mm-hmm. Um, what about a little bit of mold? Just a little bit of mold. Just a little bit. Mold is an issue if it's a little mm. bit or a lot. And so <laughs> it needs to be remedied. Um, we have to have documentation that, for example, with mold, mm-hmm. that that has been remedied and by a professional. Mm-hmm. What about utilities? Utilities have to be on and functioning at the time, especially um, with most government programs, but especially with bank-owned or a foreclosed property. Mm-hmm. And that can be a huge challenge because I've run into this before. A lot of these properties have been abandoned. People mm-hmm. just walk away. And it's amazing. We walk through the process of how a house becomes a foreclosure. And we keep saying, you need to talk to your lender. You need to talk to your lender. Most people don't. And in fact, um, a lot of judges will try to put a mediator together, and um, a neutral third party who mediates between the homeowner and the lender. I have a client who actually works as a mediator um, in the courts and tries to help come up with solutions so that people can stay in their homes but also get caught up on their payments. It's amazing to me how many homeowners won't show up for that mediation, won't even return the person's phone call. They just, and I guess it's not, it's sort of sad because they just feel, you know, beat down and they've given up and they just feel like it's hopeless and it's easier just to walk away. They sell their appliances, they, you know, rip out any copper they can and sell it for scrap and then they just mosey on down the street. Um, So a lot of these homes have been abandoned and because the foreclosure process can take so long, in some states the foreclosure closure process can take years. Um, that house could potentially be sitting vacant for years. And uh, especially in states where it gets cold, pipes can freeze and can burst. And that happens a lot. The lenders go in and just turn the water off. And uh, I hope that no one notices. I don't know. <laughs> they I just don't, don't think about it's, it. It's, it's hard. One of the ones that I, I worked on a couple years ago, um, we were trying to get the, well, the listing agent was trying to get the bank to turn on the utility mm-hmm. so that the appraisal could be done mm-hmm. and those type of things. I mean, it went on for about six weeks yeah. just to have the utilities turned on. Yeah. And they were like, we're only going to have it on for like this like short window of time. You know, keep your fingers crossed that the appraiser can get out there yeah. in that in that time frame. But yeah, we've definitely had that. Um, and then turn the water on and it's waterworks dripping everywhere. And uh, again... A big difference between little banks and, and big banks, because I listed a property for Old National Bank, which is a more regional bank, um, and they turned the water on and there were some leaks, um, and they were like, oh, hey, let's call a plumber and get it out and get it fixed, and that buyer was able to buy it with an FHA loan. But a lot of the larger banks are just kind of like, mm, don't really care, we'll just kind of sit around and wait for an investor who has cash and doesn't um, you know, worry about the utilities or the plumbing. Again, much like with short sales, it doesn't always make sense. Um, You think you've got a buyer in hand, let's work together to make it work. Doesn't always work like that. It's a big corporation. It's not a a home seller. Uh, 
who you know has a little bit more of an emotional stake in it. Um, something else, we said this with the short sale, so we'll say it again with the foreclosures. Be prepared that the home wasn't really maintained. If the person couldn't make their payments, then they probably couldn't afford to have their furnace serviced every year. And they probably, you know, if something broke, they were looking for the most uh, cost-effective way to fix it. Um, so, you know, you need to be prepared that there could be issues. I think I've told this story a million times, but I'll just keep telling it because it was so good. I uh, bought a bank-owned home several years ago as a rental property, and we did a bunch of work to it and remodeled some bathrooms, had people in and out of the house for a good three or four months, um, you know, just doing work on it, but using things in the house, inhabiting the house, I guess in that sense, but not sleeping there, not staying there. Um, Thought everything was fine, looked great, rented it out to a family of five. They moved in and within a week discovered that the septic was bad. There was just no way for us to know that until a family moved in and started living there. We needed to have expected that. Uh, Septic is about $15,000. It's not cheap. It's not cheap. It's not cheap. Uh, Plus you have to like get permits and it's a process that takes a long time and we had to keep pumping the septic every week uh, because the family was still living in there and yeah it wasn't fun at all Um, but that's the risk that you can take potential risks because you just don't know Um, there's no there's no disclosures required with a bank owned property either so again more risks on that so if you have more questions about foreclosures please post them over on Facebook or you can email me deb at real real estate today Um, We are going to wrap it up and uh, come back soon and talk. I think we're going to do rental properties as an upcoming show. I think that's going to be a good one. So um, as always, you can listen to past shows on iTunes. You can download them. You can go to the Voice America website and you can go to my website. So they are everywhere. Please go on to uh, Facebook as well and look for that cat picture and caption that for me. We'll be looking forward to the answers on that. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Thank you, Kay, for listening. Uh, This is Real Real Estate Today, your home for smart real estate. You will hear from us again. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to Real Real Estate Today. Please join your host, Deb, tomorrow for another edition every Tuesday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until next week, take care of your home. It's one of your most important assets.